Welcome to Faith Foundations with Open the Word with Circle of Friends podcast. I am your host, Gwen McCaslin, for this discipleship series that releases on Wednesdays. Hey, thanks for joining us. Um, So we're going to hop in. We have been... Um, in this section, we're talking about historical books. We've moved past the Pentateuch, and now we're into the historical books. We've covered Joshua and Judges in the last two podcasts, and today we're moving on to the book of Ruth. Um, and so I'm not sure if this one will be a shorter one. I think some of my, the last two have gotten a bit longer, um, and so we'll see We'll see what the length of this one is. But um, when I'm done, I guess I'll just be done. Uh, but the book of Ruth is this precious little book. Um, that honestly was one of my favorite for my mom to read me when I was a kid um, because it's so easy to read it in one sitting with your kids. Um, And so I have wonderful memories of being in a hammock while we're camping and mom literally laying there reading the Bible over her head, just reading through this story in the book of Esther. And I didn't get my mom to sit still often, so these are like precious memories where we actually... Uh, had her tied down in one spot, and she read through the whole thing for us. But um, the story of Ruth, I think, fascinates many girls because it's a romance. Um, And the heart of a woman loves a good romance. And so that's exactly what we have in the book of Ruth. We have this beautiful, redemptive romance. Um, So the book is four simple chapters and a beautifully balanced story. it's, it's a, a full circle redemptive story where the first chapter is mirrored and redeemed in the last chapter. Um, a little bit like the book of Job kind of comes full circle. So does this one. Um, and so the middle two chapters mirror each other. So it literally is a book that you can divide in half and it kind of mirrors itself butterflied um, a little bit. So, okay, um, let's go back and let's talk about our who, what, when, where, and why. So if you want to flip the your Bible open to the book of Ruth and write in your columns. Um, We don't 100% know who the author of this book is. Um, We have some understanding that it might have been Samuel. Um, But we know that this is treated as scriptures because there is a lot of, um, I'm going to use a word here, rabbinic tradition. Um, And so there's a lot of, we know this was used. Um, We know that this is actually a part of the feasts, um, uh, the one that has become known as Pentecost. When this is celebrated in the Jewish tradition, um, a lot of times they will read the book of Ruth um, during that feast and festival. Okay, the what. This is a story of a faithful foreigner. Now, in all of the Old Testament, this book is incredibly unique in that one of the main characters is a foreigner. She's a Moabite. Now, we just got we just got done with books talking about, you know, all of these foreigners in the land of Israel and, you know, the story of the book of Joshua is them coming into the prom- Israel coming into the promised land and possessing the land and fighting their way in. Um And then we get to Judges, and it's them dwelling in the land and spiraling away from faithfulness to God and these series of 
judges that are raised to bring judgment on the enemy and deliver God's people and restore restore the people back to the covenant with God. Um, and that that happens less and less faithfully as time goes on. And then we have the story of Ruth that is the next book in the Old Testament. Um, and so it's the story of a faithful foreigner um, where this is set in the land of Canaan. Uh, when they think this was written about... 1350 to 1000 BC, somewhere in there. Why? It is written to demonstrate the kind of faithfulness, godliness, and loyalty and love that God desires for us. So the outline for this is pretty simple because there's four chapters and there's four sections (laughs) in this book. So the first is the story of Naomi uh, and her family and loss. Um, and then her meeting Ruth. Um, and then chapter two is Ruth meeting Boaz. Chapter three is called The Threshing Floor. Um, and that is Ruth um, basically proposing marriage to Boaz. But we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, and then chapter four is that marriage redemption. Um, and there's a key piece in here that we're going to talk about with this kinsman redeemer. Because that is the pivotal focus to the book of Ruth, and you have to understand the historical context in order to get um, what's happening in this book. So, okay, a uh, key verse for the book of Ruth is Ruth one sixteen out of that first chapter. But Ruth replied, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, mine, my God. Ruth one sixteen. All right, so let's talk this one through a little bit more. Um, I, I Basically, I'm going to treat this one a little bit like storytelling, um, I think, on this podcast. But you have uh, Naomi, who has a husband named Elimelech, and she has two sons. And uh, there's a famine in the land of, of Canaan. Um, and so they leave to the land. They sojourn. They, they get up from where uh, they are, and they go to the land of Moab because they've heard that there's food there and life might be better. So they pack everybody up, and they move to the land of Moab. Now, once they get to the land, we don't have a lot of details of what's going on, but um, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies, and she's left with her two sons. Now, um, those sons end up marrying Moabite women, um, one who was named Orpha, or sorry, Orpa, I think is better pronunciation on that and the other one was named Ruth and they lived there for about 10 years Um, and then both of the sons Naomi's sons die Um, and the woman was bereft of her children and her husband then she arose with her daughter-in-laws that she might return from the land of Moab back home Uh, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and was giving them food So, um, in other words, she's in a foreign land, and she hears that life back home is better um, and that God is providing for his people, and there's food there. So, verse 7 says, She departs from that place with her two daughter-in-laws with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Um, And Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, Each of you, go home to your mother's houses. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with with the dead and with myself. Um, 
May the Lord grant you to find rest in each of your households of your husband. Um, So in other words, she's wishing them new husbands and just a good life. But she recognizes that her going back um, to the land of Judah, she's recognizing that all of their property that they would have had before is has been redistributed in the family. So she's not expecting to really even have a place to own or stay or way of making money or anything going back. She's just going back. And she knows she's going back to like larger family, but she herself is empty and desolate. Um, To such an extent that she actually says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara because I am empty and I've basically just been gutted is kind of the idea. So in any case, along the way, I think she really gets to thinking about what life's going to be like up there. And these two women that have been, um, that I truly think she's found probably safety and comfort with, um, she gets to thinking and she's like, you know what? No, they're going to be treated horribly as foreigners. Um, You know, I'm going to have trouble feeding myself and finding housing and shelter, I, you know, to ask them to come with me. You know, so she's getting real about what this is going to look like to go home. Um, and so she encourages both girls to go back to their, their, um, to their mother's houses and look for other husbands and start over. And the one sister-in-law, the one daughter-in-law, actually chooses to do so. Um, she turns around and she goes home. Um, and then that's the end of what we hear about her. We don't hear any more. But Ruth turns and looks at her mother-in-law and says... Um, I'm changing my allegiances. I'm changing my nationality, my country, my everything. Um, where you go, I will follow. Uh, your God will be my God. Um, and so literally we see another one of these moments where somebody outside of God's chosen people, um, chooses to join. Um, and God, that door is always open with the Lord, um, where people are always welcome in no matter what nationality they are. Okay, so Ruth chooses to join, and they head back. Um, Ruth's loyalty is honestly just amazing. Uh, She is a young woman of impeccable character. Um, So verse 16 is pretty, um, is is the key verse for Ruth, and it's it's kind of a pretty well-quoted verse, actually. Okay, so moving on, um, I've talked about her saying, you know, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara. She gets in, okay, that's the end of the first chapter. Um, and so they return to um, from the land of Moab, and they come to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So I want you to just imagine, like, we get the scene set. <laughs> they tell us what time of year um, that, you know, barley harvest is happening. Now, to give you a little bit of a historical context, they would have been rolling into town um, at that feast of between unleavened bread and first fruits, so right after Passover. Um, and so what you have in those three feasts is they're pretty much right next to each other in the first three days. Um, and so you've got Passover first, which is this, which is the celebration of um, the angel of death passing over the door. Uh, of the houses that had the blood of the lamb, the, the spotless lamb on their doorposts. Um, and so you have this this mirror imaging of Christ um, on a wood, his blood being spilt as the, the 
perfect spotless lamb. Um, and so actually, uh, fun fact on this, Jesus was actually crucified on the cross at the exact moment than they would have been doing the evening sacrifice in the temple. Um, and so that veil torn at the exact moment when Christ became our sufficient sacrifice for sin once for all. Okay, so she would have been rolling into town a couple days after that probably because the second feast of unleavened bread, one of the things you would do is is this is harvest time for barley. And so you'd cut a sheaf of barley. Actually, you'd leave one standing. So you'd harvest everything else and you'd leave that one sheaf standing in the field. Um, and then on unleavened bread, you would cut that sheaf um, and you would dry it, you know, finish drying it out or whatever. But on first fruits, which was that third day, that sheaf of barley would be um, would be literally just waved in front of the Lord as an offering of the first fruits. And the interesting day thing, okay, here's a little tidbit about Jesus. He was in the grave three days, and he arose on that first fruits. It's the first Monday of the week, and that was when Christ arose. Um, the grave was empty and everything. So Jesus' death and burial and resurrection completely fulfill everything foreshadowed in these three feasts right here. Okay, and so the story of Ruth takes place nestled right in here. Um, and so one of the fun facts I found is that um, for the Feast of Pentecost— which was for the Jews is called the Feast of Weeks. Um, we call it Pentecost or Shavat uh, is what you might hear and be familiar with. Um, that is actually the 50 days after Passover. Um, and so she would have been coming into town um, right around this point in time, probably at about first fruits. But um, the book of Ruth is often read during Pentecost. Um, or doing Shabbat. Uh, and so here we go, just giving you that historical, cultural, um, rabbinic tie-in. Okay, so Ruth comes into town, they come into town, and first task is to figure out how they're going to feed themselves, right? Um, and so uh, chapter two opens, now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, so family of her husband, a man of great wealth, uh, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And so scene set, we've got the rich bachelor. <laughs> you got to love this, ladies. Um, uh, verse 2, Ruth the Moabite says to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean among the eaves of grain um, after uh, one in whose sight I may find favor. And she gives her permission. She says, go ahead and go. And so this is where Ruth ends up providentially gleaning in Boaz's field and he notices um and so he doesn't just notice and do nothing um there's some beautiful ways that he is a protector and you can truly see the impeccable character of Boaz um verse 8 he he speaks with uh Ruth and he says listen carefully my daughter do not go glean in any other fields. Furthermore, do not go from this one, but stay here with my maids. So he puts her in a group for her protection, um, the first thing. And then the second one in verse 9, he, he gives provision and protection. 
He says, let your eyes be on the field in which they reap and go after them. Talking about the maids. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. Uh, when you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Um, and verse 10, she falls on her face, bowing to the ground. Um, and she says, why have I found favor in your sight? that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner. So she's very aware, um, probably has been slighted a lot up to this point on the journey. Um, And she finds an oasis of kindness in Boaz's response for her. Um, And so she's just, she doesn't understand it. She's not expecting it. She's incredulous, if you will. Uh, Why me? And his response is beautiful. Boaz replies to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. I love that. He's been checking up on the girl. (laughs) He's done his research. Um, But you also got to know this culture would have been very gossipy. You know, this wasn't normal for a widow woman who went away with a husband and kids to come back with a daughter-in-law that's a Moabite. I mean, this would have been the hot topic. Yeah. Um, So... He's heard all about it and how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to seek refuge. Um, and she thanks him and she goes back home and she tells her mother-in-law all about it. Um, and so both of these chapters, both two and three, are kind of set up the same. They're set up with um, Ruth and Naomi um, sitting down and kind of strategizing a plan. Um, in chapter two, it's how are we going to get food? Um, and then in chapter three, we see a different dilemma. Um, and so... Uh, I'm going to pick up in verse 2 of chapter 3. Now, um, is not Boaz our kinsman whose maids you were? Um, And so she's clarifying some things, and she says in verse 3, wash yourself, anoint yourself, get on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. Now, she knows that he's... He's busy, and he basically, this is like the busiest season right in this moment, okay? They are bringing in all of the barley. They're threshing everything. They're, you know, cleaning everything up, preparing things, and then it'll go to market. You know, it'll get stored, all that kind of stuff. But this is a really busy time. And so they work, like, from sunup to sundown, like, big, long days. And so everybody's exhausted. Everybody's kind of in one communal place. You know, um, nobody goes home. Everybody stays and you crash and then you get up and you do, you know, until the job's done. Um, And so basically what you have here is um, Naomi tells her to just get all fancy and dressed up and um, go down to where he's working hard. Um, And she instructs her very carefully on what to say and what to do. Um, and basically what she's doing here is a marriage proposal back in this day. Um, and in order to make this a little bit clearer, I need to understand or I need to explain what a kinsman redeemer is. Um, they're using the term kinsman, but it's actually kinsman redeemer. Whenever a woman would have lost a husband and sons, um, she had no more portion in the nation of Israel. 
she would have had no more, like her lands, everything that had belonged to her husband would go to his nearest relative. They would be taken under his wing. Okay, but there would be no more descendants to pass on. Well, one of the things that God was very careful about with his people is that they always have a descendant, that there is just always this passing on. And so God made provisions for things that happened. Um, And I, I remember... Uh, in a past podcast uh, for a Monday, we actually talked about four sisters um, while they were wandering in the wilderness that approached Moses and said, hey, we've lost our father and our brothers. Um, we we need the portion, I and mean, we don't have anybody to hold that for us, and we are right now without a portion in the land of Israel. And Moses listened to their point, and he conceded that they had a point. And so he actually assigned them their share, what should have come to them. Um, And so uh, he also, at that point, established rules and laws for this problem perpetually on down the line. And so some of those come into play here. Um, And so Naomi um, is pulling up some of this with the kinsman redeemer and that what what will happen is Ruth marries Boaz and their child gets the portion that would have gone to her husband and her sons and it passes to him and he continues the line now um Boaz in taking Ruth as his wife assumes responsibility for Naomi herself and her welfare and her provision as well as Ruth's, and he assumes all of the land and and uh, property that would have been Naomi's husband. It becomes his. It comes under his domain, and he becomes the manager of it. Now, one of the rules that happens in this is that um, all of the stuff that is his alone... Um, Okay, I need to back up a minute. So one of the things that happens with this is because he is kinsman redeeming, his firstborn son becomes Naomi's heir or Naomi's husband's heir rather than Boaz's heir. Okay, and you need to understand that. And so if you go back to the story of Judah, what you see in the sons of Judah in Genesis is that they didn't want that portion going to the other brother's kid. They wanted to keep it in theirs. So in other words, they wanted to absorb that extra brother's portion into their own portion rather than kinsmen redeeming their brother's portion and keeping it separate from what they themselves inherited. Now this goes back to inheritance rights where the oldest gets a double portion and then the rest gets divided out. Um, And so you have to understand there's greed kind of involved in some of this too sometimes. Um, And so what we see is in chapter 3, Boaz hears her. He says yes, but then he says, wait a minute, because there's, there's a kinsman closer. Okay, and so I've explained all of that so that you understand why that closer kinsman actually refuses um, and so he, he actually turns it down, and Boaz is able to actually step into his place. And there's this really funny thing that happens with a shoe, and, and it's literally like Boaz is stepping into the man's shoe. It's really kind of crazy, and I don't remember all the details, so 
I'm going to leave that to tease you so you go look for it. Um, but what we end up having here is that Boaz marries Ruth. Um, chapter four is this marriage um, and him literally stepping into the role of, of taking these two women under their wing. And the end of the story ends with, um, with Ruth giving birth to a son. And um, that son actually becomes the grandfather um, one of the great grandfathers of, of King David, um, who we know is in direct line to the Messiah eventually. Um, and so Ruth literally joins that precious lineage of the Messiah that we see in, in the first chapter of Matthew. Um, and that might be a good place to turn to. Um, in that lineage of, um, in Matthew, the first chapter of Matthew, uh, the women that are mentioned there are truly amazing women that leave um, their lives to come and join um, God's family, to join the Israelites. Um, there's actually several. Uh, there's Rahab is listed and Ruth is listed. Um, and so you can kind of see that the lineage of Christ has already set a precedence for grafting in Gentiles. Um, and so we'll see that come to fruition when we get to the New Testament survey and we get to the book of Acts and um, where the church, there's a lot of Jewish people coming to faith in the Messiah. And then all of a sudden God shifts and he sends people to the Gentiles and the church is trying to grapple with that. And what does that look like and understand? So God has already back in the Old Testament set those precedents for welcoming in the foreigner um, and so it's a beautiful imagery uh, in this book. But uh, literally, Boaz, um, that firstborn son, takes over Naomi's portion. And he literally, almost figuratively, becomes her son at that point. Um, and so she now has a, an heir to take care of her, to take care of what that domain and so, you know, we have this beautiful picture of uh, Ruth and her incredible character that we know had to have been forged by Naomi's incredible character. And we have her meeting through Providence, um, Boaz, who is a man of character, who is protective. And honestly, ladies, he is exactly what a single lady should be praying for God to send us um, because he truly is... Um, he is a godly man, one of impeccable character. So, ladies, start praying for your Boaz. <laughs> all right, that's all I have for today on the book of Ruth. Hopefully that's been a fun little overview and you've enjoyed um, the sweetness of the romance that God includes in his word. Um, but also this beautiful imagery of how Jesus comes as the ultimate kinsman redeemer for us, um, where he comes and he uh, becomes sin for us. So um, hopefully this has you opening the book of Ruth and just enjoying um, some of the details therein. Thanks for joining me today. I'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd love to hear from you, so find us on Facebook and Instagram at Open the Word Podcast or send us an email to openthewordpodcast at gmail.com. 
is it time for you to plan a day trip with your peeps? Come and stay a while at Shia Market in Berlin. There is something for everyone, no matter what your taste or style may be. Visit the Village Gift Barn for your custom floral arrangements and timeless accessories for your home. Stroll upstairs to Shia's Style Boutique for your perfect outfit, everything from accessories to shoes. Be inspired at country gatherings with decor from Modern Farmhouse to transitional design. Then meander through the gardens for a large selection of houseplants. And last but not least, order your perfect cup of brew at the Buggy Brew Coffee Company. End your day by gathering to relax in our courtyard. You will leave feeling connected and refreshed. Step back in time with a stay at one of the oldest buildings in historic Berlin, Ohio, the Worthman House. This charming building has a rich history with origins dating back to as early as the mid-1800s. The newly restored two-bedroom, one-bathroom suite has hardwood floors and gorgeous chestnut trim throughout. It is also outfitted with locally made Amish furniture. It can sleep six and offers a beautiful panoramic view of Berlin's Main Street. Its location in the heart of Berlin is an ideal spot for walking to various restaurants and shops. Book your stay at the Worthman House through VRBO.